0: So we have um, been reading through the book of Acts during the Lent season, man, it has just been powerful to see what God did in the early church. We're reading through the book of Acts because it's the Acts, literally the Acts, what the early church did, and so we're reading through that. And what I love about it is, you know, we spiritualize people in the Bible, but they were people just like you and just like me. Real men, real women. God didn't have some special cookie cutter and dough that he made those apostles out of and he used, like, the leftovers on us. They were the same as you and me. They had hopes. They had fears. They had obstacles they had to overcome. They were no different than us. But the difference was that the Spirit of God came in and did things in their life. And that's why we read it like, whoa, what is this? Man, God wants to do the same thing in your life and in my life. And so as we're reading through this, I, I hope we can get a glimpse of that, that when, when ordinary meets God's extraordinary man, something powerful happens, and that's when the Spirit of God comes in and fills our life. So we're going to be in the book of Acts today, chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, um, man, I just encourage you to grab, a, grab your smartphone, go to your app store, download the Bible app by Version, um, one of the best Bible apps out there. So Acts chapter 4, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, the NLT, and we're going to be in verse 32 today. We're going to be looking at the impact of that the Spirit of God had in a specific area in the life of the early church. So Acts 4.32, says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt like what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So God, we pray today that you would speak to us in a radical way, and in a powerful way. God, that by your spirit, Lord, that our ordinary would meet your extraordinary, God. Lord, that our normal would meet your supernatural. And God, that you would speak to us today, God, that you would challenge us. God, that you would change us. God, not one thing I'm going to say today has the power in and of itself to change. But God, when it meets your spirit, And we open up our hearts to the work of your Holy Spirit, God. There's no telling what you're going to do here in this place. So, God, I pray that hearts would be open. God, right now, we just open up our hearts to hear from you, God. Speak to us. Challenge us, Lord. Convict us, God. And most of all, God, change us that we would never be the same. If you're ready to hear from God today, can I get a big amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Man, that that amen was awesome. Excited to be here Today, um, man, I just need your help um, so that the intro doesn't go long. I need you to laugh at my jokes, even if they're not funny. I need you just, just to do it for me. So um, this is so you guys got me. you got to okay, good. Or else it's gonna go. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, buddy, Davis. Um, so I'm the father. Uh, I have three kids. I have a two-year-old who's almost three now, which is crazy. A two-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And part of the uh, beauty of being a parent of young kids—and I use that word beauty very loosely is the joy of watching children's television. And um, I tell you what, I could be having a great day, uh, full of energy, full of life, and then 30 seconds in to children's television, every part of my being cries out for a nap. I don't know what it is, but it just has the sedative effect, and it is, uh, man, it is one of the crosses that you bear when you're a parent, but we do it gladly. So in our house... Um, PBS Kids is on all the time. I, I, I got any PBS Kids? People, anyone know what I'm talking about? Thank you. PBS Kids, Families Represent. Um, and, and there's a new show on PBS Kids that troubles me so much, I felt the need to bring it to you, a room of fully grown adults, to help me break down this children's show so I can just kind of vent some of my anger. Thank you guys for hearing me out here a little bit. It's this new show called Pink Pinkalicious, where the main character, also named... Pinkalicious, um, in this one particular episode, did something that just, uh, my wife and I, man, it set us off in a fit of holy anger, and it was, it was just awful. So in the episode, Pinkalicious, which once again is her name, Pinkalicious, um, <laughs> eats no less than eight cupcakes in one day, and proceeds to turn pink because she ate eight pink cupcakes, in a day. And my wife and I are watching this, and we are like, where is DHS? Well, how could a child be allowed to eat eight cupcakes in one day? These are awful parents. This show is teaching my child awful values. Where is a, a piece of, so I can type off an angry letter to, you know, the, the writers of Pink Pinkalicious. And we were just indignant, people. We were like, man, we cannot believe that any parent would be allowed to let their kid eat that many cupcakes. Fast forward two days later, and our oldest daughter, Olivia, who is seven and has an insatiable sweet tooth, gets home that night, and because it was like a core community night, and my my wife and I were just kind of tag-teaming in and out, managed somehow to Jedi mind trick her way into eating six cookies that day. And I want to tell you the painful sting of irony and the painful sting of hypocrisy came back, and I was thus convicted. So I did not write an angry letter to the authors of Pinkalicious, even though, once again, they named the child Pinkalicious, and that seems like an atrocity on so many levels. I realized that um, I, too, you know, need some, have some room to grow as a parent. Um, so as a parent, I mean, it, man, it's pretty easy to get kids to eat sweets. You know, it's like you don't really have to twist I mean, you have that random kid that's not really a sweet person, but for the most part, man, talk about kids eating candy or ice cream or whatever, cookies, cake, man, they are on board. But the flip side of that is getting kids to eat vegetables, man, getting kids to eat, We do all kinds of stuff. You, know, you do the airplane thing, you know, you resort to bribery. It's like, honey, if you will just look at this piece of broccoli and smile at it, I will give you a carton of ice cream. Just just come on, just like, just like the vegetable. The vegetable wants you to like it, you know, and VeggieTales doesn't help. VeggieTales makes it worse because how do you explain to the kid, you know, honey, Bob would want you to eat the tomato. Larry would want you to, they're eliminating the competition, honey. They would want you to eat the vegetables. You know, that, that does not help. So, today we are, we're, we're in this series called Ignite, and we've been talking about eight spiritual practices that are going to ignite your faith and your spiritual journey. And the one we're talking about today is generous giving. Sit back down, don't leave, don't leave. We're talking about giving today. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, we're talking about why did I bring my friend today? You need to put like a warning label on Facebook or something when you're talking about money, giving. You know, why did I come to, well, if you're first, first time here today, it's going to be okay. I, I think giving is one of those things that can be tough because honestly, sometimes, man, it feels like we're eating the vegetables, spiritually. Any, any vegetable people, like you really love vegetables here? Awesome, awesome. Any people, you only eat vegetables like smothered in butter and bacon, like Paula Deen style? Yeah, yeah you, you guys are my people. Um, so, so today, you know, we're gonna be talking about giving and, and, and I think a lot of times we can get hung up on it. It feels like eating our vegetables. It's one of those things where, you know, like diet and exercise, we know we're supposed to do it like, we know we're supposed to live that way. We know we're supposed to give. Man, it's just hard. It's just some of you, I know you have the gift of giving. Some of you, it just comes naturally, and it flows freely through you. And, man, good for you. God bless you. But for the rest of us, giving is difficult. And I want to tell you, for me, giving is not something that it came, comes naturally to me. It's not one of my top five spiritual gifts. When I, take, when I go to the Discover class, it does not spit that out. It's kind of closer to the bottom. And I really began to wrestle through why giving is so tough for me. And so maybe this will help you out too, but, but there's some areas where, where I get hung up on the idea of giving, and, and, and so thus it's hard to walk that out in my life. Well, one of them is, you know, giving's hard for me because I feel like I don't have a lot to give. You know, I don't know if any of you guys have ever said this, but I know this has certainly come out of my mouth where I said, well, I would give it if I had it. I would give it if I had it to give. And so because of, because of that, you know, it feels like, oh, I, I, I always put it off. You know, because of that, I don't feel like I have it, you know. So I say, well, after I get paid or after I get that raise or after I get that promotion, um, definitely not the raise and promotion thing uh, now that I work for the church. But anyways, you know, but previously. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, or, at, you know, after the, bill, after the bill gets paid off, after that, that thing finally clears, you know, then... I'll, I'll start giving. Then I'll start doing this. We always just kind of kick the can down the road because we feel like we don't have it to give. And I think something that goes along with that is this idea that you know, well, I give it, but I feel like my giving's not very significant. You know, like if I had hundreds or thousands of dollars to give, man, whew, then then that's when I'm my giving is really going to make a difference. But you know, what's my what's my little what's my little gift going to do? What's my five dollars going to do? What's my you know ten dollar? How's man? They're not going to miss that. It's not making a difference. It doesn't make an impact. And so I feel like my giving, because it's maybe not the amount I think it should be or I want it to be, feels insignificant, and it demotivates me to do it. I don't feel like that my giving makes that much of an impact. Another reason why giving is hard is because sometimes my giving feels like an obligation. And it's not something I do joyously and generously out of the overflow of my heart, but it just kind of feels like another bill. I have to do. Sometimes, I like giving to the church. You know, can feel that way. It feels like another bill that you have to pay. It's like I got my mortgage, I got my utilities, paid God, you know, paid Netflix. It's just kind of like it just gets lumped in with with our other giving. You know, even giving that we do maybe not to the church, but just giving we do out in general can feel that way. Like we sponsor a child through a Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, and, and some, that giving just becomes an obligation. It's just kind of something that I don't even think about anymore. The impact of it doesn't really. Uh, Matt, it's just kind of something that, that happens, and it's just kind of something that's automatic. And because of that, it's just kind of another obligation, another bill, and there's no, there's no spiritual growth. There's no uh, benefit that really feels like it comes to me. It's just like, oh, that's just the child I sponsor. You know, it's just the life I save halfway around the world, you know, big, big deal. Or well, you know, right now, it's like giving feels like Girl Scouts. My goodness, they are everywhere. They're everywhere. And, you know, so it's eventually you just feel obligated. It's like, okay, fine, I will buy your Thin Mints. You know, and then you eat those Thin Mints, and there's just that tinge of regret and obligation that goes with them. You have to eat so many more to cover up that flavor, which is why, you know, I binge a box of Thin Mints. It's just, it's just what happens. So, you know, giving's hard. I don't feel like I'm much to give. I, don't, I feel like it's an obligation. And sometimes giving's hard, honestly, because I, I want things for myself. Now, stop being so super spiritual here for just a minute. You know, let's, let's be honest. It's, if, if we give, I mean, let's, let's do the math. If we give more, right? That means we have less for ourselves. And, I mean, don't we all just kind of fall into this thing where we want newer, we want bigger, we want better, we want more. And we know, just because, you know, math, if I give more, that means I have less to do with what I want to do. And there's things I want to get done. There's improvements to the house I want to make. There's cars and there's clothes. There's all these things that are going on. And if I give, then it takes away from what I have. And so as I look at giving, man, these are the things that, that hang me up, and it can be really hard to do. And, and I, what I'm afraid of that, that happens to us often in life when it comes to spiritual disciplines that are hard to enact is that like vegetables and like kids with vegetables, we get so hung up on the vegetable that we miss the rest of the plate, that we miss the rest of the good things that God wants to give us and that God wants to feed us because we're so hung up that we don't want to eat the vegetables, We're so hung up that we don't want to do the hard thing. We don't want to do the thing that comes unnaturally to us. We don't want to do the thing that's a struggle and that's work for us, and so we get hung up on that, but we miss the good that God wants to do. And just like we talked about generous giving, I think most of us immediately focused on the word giving. Like, oh, we're talking about giving. We're talking about money. I know I need to do that. Guilt, shame, obligation, all just kind of seeps in. But today I want to shift our focus from a giving mentality to one of a g- mentality of generosity, generous giving, because I think the two things, even though they sound similar, are actually kind of different. That generosity is different than giving. Because here's the deal about generosity and g- generosity and giving: giving does not always mean that you're generous. Like you can give something and not be generous as you give it. You can give something and your heart not be one. Of generosity. But if you focus on generosity, if you have a heart of generosity, the giving part will always take care of itself. The giving part will always take care of itself. See, where giving focuses on an amount and a percentage and a duty, generosity focuses on your heart. Where giving is a requirement, generosity is a response. And where giving always makes me feel like I have less, generosity allows others to have more. And it's a subtle shift, but man, it's a big shift if we get away from just a mindset of giving to one of unlocking a life of generosity. See, I believe today and the the idea that we're going to be working with today is that generous giving is radical living. That generous giving is radical living. And today we're going to look at the early church again, and we're gonna look at how the Spirit of God empowered ordinary people. Remember, people just like you and me. People worried about how they were gonna make ends meet. People worried about the money that they had in the bank. People worried about putting food on the table. People just like you and me, but empowered by the Spirit of God, they were able to live a life of radical generosity. Generosity that we look at today and we go, what in the world were these guys doing? But the Spirit of God empowered them to live a life where generous giving is radical living. And so today we're going to look into what the church did, and we're going to look into some mindsets that the church had. Because we look at this story in the early church, and once again, just to recap, remember the church is gathering together, and people are selling their possessions, people are selling homes, they're selling land, and they're giving it to the church so that the church can distribute it among its members so that no one, it says no one was in need, no one went, in lack, And at first of all, so I read this passage, and my initial response was, time out, time out. That sounds really weird, okay? So everyone sold everything they had, and it went into like a community pot for everyone to live off of. I saw that documentary on Netflix, okay, with the guys in the compound and the white shoes. I, that ended poorly for them. Why are you going to try to make me do this, Daniel? I'm not going down that road. One thing I really want us to understand that lays the foundation for our conversation here today is that this lifestyle was not a requirement of being a part of the early church, okay? It's not like, you know, people came to church on Sunday, and Peter was like, all right, we're getting ready to take up an offering, so don't forget, everyone, put the deeds to your house and the titles to your donkeys into the offering plate, and um, remember, if you're going to do that today, then there's the door, we'll see you later. Maybe the synagogue would like to have you as a member. It's not like they went that way in the early church. In fact, in the next chapter, we see a couple that tried to do this. They tried to sell the land and look good in front of the early church, but they kept part of the proceeds back for themselves, and they were exposed. And Peter says to them very clearly, hey, wasn't your land and your money yours to do with what you wanted to do? He said, no one's, ti- no one's twisting your arm behind your back to make you do this. This was yours to do it, and so what I want us to understand today off of all of this, I say that to say this, is that what we are talking about today, this idea of generosity and this idea of radical generosity and giving, these are not salvation issues, okay? You are not any more saved because you give or not any less saved because you don't give, because you cannot give your way into heaven. See, if we could give our way into salvation, give our way into heaven, then our our salvation would not be based on grace. It would be based on works. It would be based on what we're doing. But we understand as Christ followers that we're not saved because of our works. We're not saved because of how hard we try. We're saved because of the grace of God and because of the gift of God. It's not something we do. And so we can't give our way into heaven. Visa is accepted everywhere except the pearly gates. You can't pay your way into heaven. You can't slip Peter a 20 at the gate and get your way in. It doesn't work like that, you cannot give yourself into heaven. So we're not talking about a salvation thing here, okay? But we are talking about something that can unlock a lifestyle that's so radical and so passionate and so on fire that I think for most of us in this place, Christ follower or not, we look at the idea of generosity and say, yeah, I want to be a generous person. I don't think any of us want to hit the grave and have it said about us, you know, that we have a pile of money but that we're really stingy and we're bad tippers. You know, I think we all want to go... Having people say, man, that was a generous person. That was a person that loved people. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about some mindsets that we see here in this passage that the church had that unlocked generosity in their life. And the first mindset we see is found in verse 32. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. All the believers were united in heart and mind. The first mindset that the church had was that we is greater than me, that we is greater than me. Can we say that together, that we is greater than me? See, here's a a deep truth that uh, I'm gonna drop on you guys here. This is what I get paid the big bucks to do. Um, Did you guys know it's easier to be generous to people that you like? It's crazy, it's crazy, I know. It's easier to give towards people and things that you like and that you care about. Um, See, I said earlier in the message That I'm not naturally a giver, but I discovered and and I'm realizing that's kind of a half truth because I am a giver when it comes to my family. I'm very generous when it comes to my family. You know, I have young kids, and so the bane, another bane of every parent's existence when you have young kids is navigating any sort of toy section at a store because your sweet, lovable child all of a sudden like transforms into something that's just like, give me, give me, give me, I want it, I want it all, you know, And, and so. Obviously, as a parent, you know that you can't buy your kids everything they want because you're not trying to raise spoiled brats, amen? But, but for me as a parent, every time the kids ask, I want to tell you guys something. There's a part of me that wants to give it to them, regardless of what, because there's that part of me that just wants to be extremely irrationally generous toward the kids, and I don't want them to lack for anything. There's that part of me that wants to give it to them, no matter what it is. It's like, Yes, honey, you can have 100 LOL dolls. Yes, let's get four Hatchimals. You know, you want a pony? Absolutely, let's get a pony. You know, and there's that part of me that that doesn't want to say no to them. There's that part of me that wants to be extremely generous with them. Why? Because I love them. And because I'm connected with them, I'm united with them, heart and mind. And because of that, it, it causes this generosity to rise up in me. It's like, man, you want to go to Disney, babe? Let's go to Disney. Hawaii, here we come. Put it on the credit card. We'll figure it out later. You know, it's just that part of that wants to be just, irrationally generous because I love them and, and I, want the, I want what's best for them. And, and don't you know, when, when you begin to get united with people, when you have a dog in the fight, when you begin to make connections, it, it ties you in in ways that it doesn't do if you're not connected to it. Like, for example, right now, you know, we're, our state is facing a major education crisis. Teacher walkout and all that. And, and so everyone I know is aware, aware of that, we're kind of invested in, but if you have a student in one of these schools, or if you're friends with a teacher, or if you are a teacher, or you, you, know, you have family, if you're, if you're way more invested in it, at that point, you care, you really care about what's going on. Why? Because all of a sudden your heart is united in it. And here's the deal. It's so easy for us to keep people and poverty and problems at an arm's length, and to kind of keep it at a distance, to never let it really come in and affect us. But when we begin to unite ourselves, heart and mind with people and we to unite ourselves with the body of christ and with others all of a sudden generosity begins to spring forth out of us because we're no longer living in isolation but all of a sudden we begin to do life with one another and we see someone's problems and we see someone's pain and we see what someone's going through and we say to them man i want to help you and i love you and i care about you and all of a sudden generosity isn't some like robotic response or some obligation that i have to do but it's it's now man i got to take care of my brother i got to take care of my sister. i got to take care of my friend. And generosity, when we come out of a life of isolation, I love what Shay shared about being in isolation, when we come out of that isolation, we get around the body of Christ and we get around others, generosity begins to happen because all of a sudden life's just not about me. All of a sudden life's just not about my stuff and my wants and my desires. But all of a sudden it's about helping others to have more. And we see this happen week in and week out in our core groups. Our core groups are our small groups to meet throughout the city, and man, just so many stories of generosity that happened because these groups understand that we is greater than me. There was a group where a family had a a newborn child, and if you've had a newborn, you understand the sleepless nights and the tired and just the toll it takes on your life and your marriage and your relationships, and it's great, but it's hard work, and so one day this family comes to their group, and their group says, man, we are going to take your kids And here's a gift card to a restaurant, and you guys are going to go, and you're going to have a date night, and we're going to watch your kids. Why did they act so generously? Because they understood we is greater than me. There was another group where a family was in need of, crisis need of groceries and food, and the group rallied together and bought bags upon bags of food and groceries and took it to this family. Why? Because they understood we is greater than me united heart and mind, another group where a family was in desperate need of transportation, so the group rallies together and generously gives, and they bless the family with transportation, and so, because they understand we is greater than me, and when we unite heart and mind with one another, we can no longer keep people and pain and problems at an arm's distance, but when we come in and let them in, and generosity overflows out of us, because all of a sudden, you're not just some stranger, you're not just another face, man, you're a person I care about, your person that I'm lockstep with. And so when we get that understanding, we begin to unite one another. This is why we talk so much about not living in isolation, but getting in community and getting around people and beginning to make those relationships because it will unlock generosity within you in a way that you cannot tap into otherwise. So we is greater than me. The next mindset that we see here in the early church is found in verse 32. In the second part of it, it says, and they felt that what they owned Was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The next mindset we see here the first one's we greater than me. The second one we see is that stewardship is greater than ownership. Stewardship is greater than ownership. Now, steward is just kind of a fancy church going term for someone that takes care of someone else's stuff. And this is a really important thing. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christ follower. You're kind of off the hook here for a second because as Christ followers, we believe and we understand that everything we have comes from God. And not only do we believe it comes from God, so we believe everything we have comes from God, it is God's, and it goes back to God. And that's a pretty radical statement to make, but as Christ followers, that's kind of our general consensus on stuff. And so we believe we're not owners of the stuff we have, but we're stewards of it. We're caretakers of the things that God has given us. Now, this has big implications. For how we live our life because when I own something, I get to assign my intent to that thing. I get to assign my intent to it. And here's, here's what I mean by that. So I've been borrowing a lot of cars lately, and, that, and that's because um, the van I was driving, um, I mean, how do I put this nice, it was a piece of junk, you know, so um, I, I drive this junky van and it breaks down, and so I've been borrowing a lot of cars. And um, because of that, I, I, when I borrow the car, I'm very aware, and I don't go rent a car from enterprise. I mean, I'm borrowing someone's car, which is very generous, but also kind of creepy at the same time. Anyways, I'm borrowing someone's car, and I'm I'm aware while I have this car, this is not my car, right? I have possession of the car, but I do not have ownership of the car. And there's a big difference because the car was lent to me with the intent that I would drive it to and from work. But it would be if I violated that intent by becoming an Uber driver in that car or delivering pizzas in that car or using that car to do demolition derby, I would be violating the intent which the car was lent to me because the owner assigns that intent. To put it another way, it works like this. I don't get to decide what to do with things that are not mine. I don't get to decide what to do with things that are not mine, and if I believe everything comes from God, everything is God's, and everything's going back to God's, we see that the church had this mindset, that stewardship, they understood they were stewards of it, they weren't owners of it, they were stewards of the resources that God had given them, they didn't own it, and so when they looked around, because they believed, remember that we is greater than me, they looked around and saw the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ, and it just, I just can imagine it just made sense to them, that they looked at the the needs and they looked at their community and they they said, I think this is what God would want me to do with his money. I think this is what God would want me to do with his money. That instead of hoarding it, I don't think that's what God wants me to do with it. I think God wants me to give it and to resource and to equip and to empower. I think that's how he would want me to steward his money. So it begs us to ask the question, am I doing what God wants me to do with his money? Am I doing what God wants me to do with what's his? How am I taking care of the car that he's entrusted me to drive? Am I trashing it? Am I taking it to the demolition derby? Am I doing what I want to do with it? Or am I doing with it what the owner intended me to do with it? Am I honoring him in the way that I give? Am I honoring him by what I'm doing with him? There's another powerful kind of subtruth that comes along in this is that when we understand that it's all God's and it all comes back to him, our giving and our generosity becomes less about the amount and it becomes more about the obedience. It becomes less about the amount and becomes more about the obedience. So there's a story in the Bible where Jesus is at church and people are coming up and, and doing offering, They're doing like old school offering where the buckets are up front and they're coming in and dropping their gift in the offering and Jesus, because he's Jesus and he can get away with it, he's just sitting there watching people give their offering. And so, you know, you got all these people coming up and dropping their their Benjamins and their, you know, their big bucks into the, the plate. And then a widow comes up and drops a couple of pennies in. And he looks at the widow and says, this woman has given more than anyone else put together. Now, why is that? Because generosity is not about an amount. It's about obedience. And when we understand the stewardship of that, when we understand that it all belongs to God, we understand, and God's not impressed by an amount. You could give a million dollars and not be generous, or you could give $5, and you're walking in obedience, and you're walking in stewardship, and you're honoring God by how you're handling your money. You could give $5, and God looks at that and says, that's the most generous gift anyone's given today, because generosity is not about an amount. It's about obedience. When we realize that stewardship is greater than ownership, it's about, God, what do you want me to do with what's already yours? And the early church had that mindset, and it radically changed and radically altered how they interacted. With one another. So we understand we is greater than me, stewardship is greater than ownership. And finally, we see in verse 33 the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. The last mindset we see is that response is greater than requirement. Response is greater than requirement. See, it kind of seems like a random verse. To have in here, you know, we're talking about how the church is giving to one another, and kind of out of nowhere we stop, and we say that you know the apostles are testifying to the power of the resurrection and to God's great blessing. But I think the reason this verse is in here because the author wants you to understand what mentality and what was the thing that the church was keeping in front of them all the time. They weren't doing this out of uh, just this ritualistic thing. They weren't doing this because the apostles were making them. They weren't doing this because this was the price of entry into the church. They were doing this because of the resurrection and because of God's great blessing. See, they understood that God had given so much to them. They understood all that God had poured out upon, them. they understood the truth that God so loved the world, that he so loved them, that he loved every person that gathered in that assembly, that he gave, he generously gave His one and only Son, that whoever among them and whoever among them in their community and whoever among them in the world, if they would believe in him, that they wouldn't perish, but that they would find everlasting life. And that everlasting life doesn't start just when they croak and go to heaven that everlasting life begins now, that God didn't want to just set them free when they died, but God wanted to set them free now from their sin, from their shame, from their addiction, from their depression, from their hopelessness, that God had everlasting life for them now. And when they realized that, when they realized all that God had done for them, all the blessing, not just material blessing, but all the blessing that God had poured out on them, it unlocked and unleashed generosity in their life. That God's I was wondering if I was going to clap. I thought that was pretty good. Anyways, <laughs> they were responding to God's generosity. Can I, can I paint this a different way? I want, I want to paint this in a little more personal way. So, you know, we talked about kids eating vegetables and stuff. Man, I, I was that kid. I was, I was spoiled kid. I, only child, so I was like doubly spoiled. Um, you know, just, just just kid growing up. But, but don't you know part of maturity is when you grow up and you realize all the things your parents have done for you? And for me, my story you know, even, even a little more interesting in that, and I'm adopted, and just just thinking back about how, man, my, my folks rescued me, I mean, literally, rescued me from an orphanage in South Korea, and it, it, if it wasn't for their generosity, if it wasn't for what they did, I mean, there's no telling where I'd be. I know one thing, I, I for sure wouldn't be here with you guys, probably be out working a rice field or something, I don't, I don't know. Um, definitely something not suited to my skill set that's that's for sure Um, but because of that because I see the the sacrifice and because I see the love and because I see what they've done for me you know my mom now is twice widowed and um, man when she needs something my response to her isn't obligation it isn't just oh I gotta go do that the response is, yeah, absolutely, because the older I get and the more I realize the price of that, the more I realize the sacrifice of that, the more it's, 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 not, it's a response. It's a response to if she needs help, you know, sending a text or, you know, getting around on her awful flip phone, you know, it's like I help her out with that Be, because I, I will not trust her with a smartphone. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and, <laughs> but but it, because of their generosity because of what they, I mean, literally saving my life, it's like, how could I do anything less? How could I respond with anything less? How much more has God given us? This is not just about giving a percent, being a good person, being a good Christian, doing my Christian duty. Man, this is about a response to, God, you saved my life. God, I was lost, but now I'm found. God, I, I was blind. God, I couldn't make head or tails in my life. I didn't know what up or down was. God, I was lost, now I'm found. God, I was blind, but now I see. God, that you came and rescued me. And God, the generosity that I have in my life towards others, towards the church, towards you, towards strangers, God, it doesn't come because I have to do it, God. It doesn't come because it's an obligation. It doesn't become that's my, because that's my good Christian duty, God. It comes because you so generously gave to me, God, that how could I hold it in? How could I keep it to myself, God? That's where generosity springs from. That we see that we is greater than me, that stewardship is greater than ownership, and that response is so much greater than doing it out of requirement. Because of that, I want us to see the end result of this in verse 34 and 35. It says, there were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. The final truth that we see is this, that liquidation is greater than accumulation, That generosity, we're talking about generous giving is radical living. That generosity does not seek just what it can accumulate. It it does not just try to get and mine and hoard and me and more for me and my stuff. Generosity does not seek to accumulate, but it looks to liquidate. What can I get rid of? God, what can I do? What what can I have, God, what can I I do to, to resource others? How can I help? How can I bless? How can you use me? God, what can you give through me? God, if it means I have a little less so someone else has something, God, use me in that way. God, because it's all yours anyway. So God, I don't want to live a life of just accumulating and accumulating. God, but but I want to have a mindset, God, where, where I understand liquidation is greater than accumulation. God, that if I give stuff away for the kingdom and for your glory, God, what better life there is to live than one, God, where you used me, God, and I laid it all out for your glory and for your kingdom. And that's, that's what we're talking about today. All those hang-ups we have on giving, about wanting things for ourselves, we see that, you know, no, at the end, I want to be used to help others. Man, at the end, I believe that we is greater than me, that it's about locking step one with another, that, you know, that I, I don't have much to give, and I realize it's all God's anyway. It's all God's anyway. He's just entrusted me with it. He doesn't, it's not about the amount, but it's about am I being obedient? Am I doing with it, what he wants me to do? Do I really believe that stewardship is greater than ownership? And, you know, it's the giving, the obligation, the, uh, I have to give, but man, that, that I can shift and say, no, God, I'm generous because you were generous to me. That I'm generous, God, not out of requirement or out of regulation. God, I'm generous, God, as a response to your goodness in my life, out of a response to all that you've done for me, God, how could I be selfish? How could I hold on? God, you've given so much to me, and that's where generosity comes from. That's why we say generous giving is radical living. Generous giving is radical living. That we want to live a life of radical generosity. It begins right here,